Good morning, everybody. Uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18, and we'll be looking from verses 1 to 8. So before COVID, um, I was more of a texter. Uh, if you want to make me anxious, is you, you call my phone. And sometimes I'm just too busy to answer the phone. I could be in the bathroom, you know, you're watching like a YouTube video, and all of a sudden your phone rings, and, and sometimes you just got to let that thing ring through. Um, but sometimes, in my own sin, I get a phone call, and I'm like, how important is this call right now? Could this just be a text message or an email? And I let that thing ring, ring through again. And then moments later, I'll receive a text from that person and be like, sorry, I missed your call. You missed my call. I just want to say this. And then I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, so that just goes to show like half the time, the emails, the, the phone calls, the meetings could have just been an email or a text message um, instead, of a, instead of a phone call. But now in COVID, I become more of a caller, and that may be to my own selfishness. Uh, I've learned that when I text somebody, I do that because I'm okay with a delayed response. I'm okay with that person getting back to me in a couple business days or so. But when I call them, just now more than usual, I'm calling because I'm asking to be a priority in that person's life that what I need and what I want, I actually need it now or very soon. That when a person hears my voice, hears my urgency, that there is an invoked compassion or priority shift in that person's life to now attend my needs. And when it comes to prayer, prayer is like a one-way phone call. But we get God's attention. We, we thank him for first picking up the phone, that we have a phone that we can call the Lord, and then we can ask God to meet our needs and answer our requests. But how often do we feel like we've been sent to voicemail, or that God has someone else on the line, or that we are calling the wrong number? How about when we slowly become apathetic and we, our prayers become more like text messages? We send haphazard requests and, and thinking that God will reply to us maybe later or that he won't reply to us at all? Or how about when we just give up on praying altogether? Is there something in your life right now that you're praying for, that God actually promises in his word, that you're fasting for, praying seriously for it, yet it feels like God hasn't done anything or will do anything? Do you feel like there's no point to pray at all? that you can now just handle the situation if God's not going to act in time for you. We're just gonna move on from that. As Jenna read in verse one of chapter 18, it says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You see, Jesus knows that we as Christians will experience injustice. And like when you're tired and you wake up in the morning, you drink coffee, or for me, I go and I eat sugar. I want energy to now go and work. God gives us this word or this passage that when we study it and believe it, that we have the motivation, the desire, the faith, the confidence, the boldness to keep on praying and not lose heart, to not be discouraged. Jesus gives us this parable or story of a woman who doesn't give up and a judge who does to simply teach us 
how important it is for us to keep on praying, understanding and believing in the character of the one who hears and answers them, that we can pray from a place of expectancy, of, of faith, confident that God will hear us and do right to us by all our prayers. And there's one thing I want you to all understand uh, from this message today is that because God is going to make all things right, believers ought to keep on praying. You and I can keep on praying because God is going to make all things right. So I'm going to share with you two reasons why believers should keep on praying and not give up on doing so. I'm going to pray for God's help and then we're going to get into our first points. So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you speak, you have spoken, and you continue to speak through your word. And I pray that you just work through me, Lord, as I share what you have laid upon my heart in this passage. And I pray that it be an encouragement to each and every one of us in this room that we pray. And I pray, God, that you do a great work in uh, everyone who is listening here in this room and for those who, who are listening online as well. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So our first points of this morning, the first reason why believers are to keep on praying is because our world is broken. Believers pray because our world is broken. Again, I'll read verse 1. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose hearts. I just love how scripture preemptively knows how to deal with us. God is letting us know that we as believers are the one who actually need adjusting. That prayer is not something that is redundant in the eyes of God, but can be viewed that way to us. How often do I or you pray nonchalantly or, or don't take prayers seriously? We say we're going to pray for people, but then we don't. Whether it's because we don't think God is going to be answering that or that our prayers are not uh, effective. This passage is meant to set us straight. Jesus uses a parable, which is a simple story that illustrates and personifies character in order to teach us an important and valuable spiritual lesson. And so we're going to get introduced to our first character in verse 2. It says, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected Man, these are the scariest people that you want to be around. And even worse, to be underneath their leadership and authority. To not fear God is to basically not respect or agree with who God is to us and how we are to respond and relate to him. God is our creator. He's made us. He's given us rules and boundaries and statutes for us to follow, to go against that is to not fear or respect or revere God as we should and ignore those consequences that come from that, which then bleeds to how we respect human beings. This judge, he doesn't see other, beings, other human beings as equal in value and of worth. Everyone else is less than. This guy isn't picking up anybody's phone calls, whether he's in the bathroom or not. And look at God's standards when it comes to judges, as it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6 to 7. It says, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality in taking bribes. This man and judge is supposed to represent God and reflect his character and how he judges and advocates for his fellow people, but he could care less. Jesus teaches us in his word that we are to love God with all our heart, 
mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor. This guy does the opposite. He doesn't fear or respect or, or care for God and does not respect man. These are the same people that in Psalm 73, Asaph, and, and he's, he's looking at the world and he's so confused and discouraged as to why people like this are prospering. Why are some of the worst people imaginable serving in the best places where change and good can come and happen in our world? That's the judge. And now we're going to look at the other two characters in verse 3. It says, And there was a widow who in that city kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. It's easy to miss that there's three characters in this parable. There are a couple of bad guys here. Commentators say that this widow would have lost her husband and is now owed a financial payments from the ex-husband's family to be well off, that she can begin to take care of herself and her family if she has, has, has children. Or like Naomi and, and Ruth, if you read the book of Ruth, she could live with her ex-husband's family until another brother or heir can, 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 can marry her. Or that she can just live with the family until they're able to pay that price for her. But because it says here that it's an adversary, it means that this person or family is not doing what the law requires, which is why she is going to the judge in the first place. So you got a bad judge, and you also got an unloving support group resulted in two injustices happening at the same time. And that's what we get oppression from, continual, prolonged, non-accidental injustice. You see, injustice and oppression is often multi-layered. Uh, there's this African proverb that just simply says that when a rock is thrown into a crowd, only the person that gets hit says, ouch. There are complexities, uh, uh, and we need to be patient when we hear others out when they are sharing with us the injustices that they are experiencing. As I was reading and studying this passage, I was, I was getting upset and welling up with anger. Like, what would I do if I was in this person's shoes? And the fact that she goes by herself to the judge shows that she has no supports. Usually a man goes on behalf of the family, but she goes alone. We don't know if she has any kids, how long this has been going on for, but we can only imagine our world is messed up. And there's situations like this where we can feel powerless and victimized that we begin to question the existence and the goodness of God, even in situations where we haven't done wrong. If you're here today, if you're online and you're, you're, you're questioning the existence of God and you have questions for God in light of the world that we're living in, I, I get it. And there's this quote by C.S. Lewis that really helps me think through these things. It says, my arguments against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. This goes back to the fear of God. You and I are moral creatures who have been created with purpose and intent by God. When we act outside of God's rules and boundaries and standards, we end up hurting ourselves and other people as well. And it's not wrong for us to point out when we see or hear injustice or when things have gone wrong in our lives. It's only natural that we would want to go and make things right, especially when they happen to us. What would you do if you were in the widow's shoes? 
I would throw hands on this, this, this adversary if I was her. And if I was denied once by the judge, I would have just given up then and there. Like I would view it as if that was God's will. Like that is what God would have wanted in this situation. And these are the situations that can discourage us, that can lead us to a dying prayer life, a disbelief and distraught that God would allow such things to happen to us. And here are some things that come to mind as to reasons why we can give up and lose heart on prayer. First one is that we can think that we're alone, that we're all by ourselves. No one, it feels like no one is, is there or, or cares or others don't understand our pain to the level that we understand it and experience it on or they're not in our shoes. Other people are injustice free and I'm going through this special injustice. We can refuse to be a part of the answer. Sometimes the best solutions that, that have been given to me come during prayer, but almost nine times out of 10 or almost 10 times out of 10, they always involve me to do something. And I don't want to do more work or, or experience any more potential pain or injustice. We can assume only one solution. We can, we can often want the solution that is the least involving of us, the least painful and easiest. We want others to compromise and not ourselves. And especially for me, like it reveals selfishness. Sometimes when I'm asking God to do something for me, even when I've been sinned against, just reveals how selfish I really am. If I'm just going to God to serve me or to punish and inflict pain on somebody else. Or am I praying that I don't have to pray anymore? That I don't, I'm praying so I don't need to need God on this situation anymore. And this widow here, probably has so much more reasons because we do not know the full context here, but she went and kept coming to God's ordained agency. In verse three, again, it says, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, the judge, and saying, give me justice against my adversary. He is the only one who can act according to God's standard and, and can speak on this issue and do objectively on this matter. You see, in the same way that God has given standards to this judge, God has given his own standard to himself. When you scour the Psalms and, and read the songs and the cries and the laments of the saints, they are always saying, Lord, covenant keeper, Yahweh, hear me according to your mercy, by your steadfast love, for your name's sake. This Widow can't book a hearing and serve her adversary as we can now. She at the crack of dawn needs to wake up, run down to the square and scream all day and shout for the judge to hear her case. She would have to be the loudest person in the midst of everyone who wants a judge hearing. And the other thing is that this widow is asking this judge to act outside of his character. This guy, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. She's asking him to become something else. When you and I pray, when we go to God and bring these things to God, we aren't asking God to be someone else. We're not asking God to now be loving, to now be merciful. We're asking God business as usual. Continue doing what you have promised to be. Continue being who you promised to be. Prayer helps us remember that God himself hasn't Change that he is still loving and still merciful to even allow the injustice, and we can call him to now do something about it. The other thing when it comes to continual prayer 
for our own benefit is that the widow has a lot on her plates. And actually going to the judge, though as stressful as it is to wake up in the morning at the crack of dawn, run down to this courtyard and plead her case, she gets to go to bed each night, which may even be the street, knowing that she has done her part and leaving it at the feet of the judge repeatedly. Two passages for you, Philippians chapter uh, four, verses six to seven teaches us this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Peter chapter five, it says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Prayers is, is God's way of, prayer is a painkiller. God has given us this for our own benefit. We aren't designed to carry all our anxieties, the fear of not being in control. God has given us a means of how we can cast our anxieties, to give our anxieties to the one who cares the most. And I do want to still say that some of us can reach levels of anxiety that can, that can hinder or cripple our, our cognitive functioning. So we can be thankful for the, for the methods and the medicine that, that can help us guide us and bring us back to a place of balance so that we can pray, but the necessity and the benefits of prayer should never be negated. This is God's gift to us. And it's through proper prayer that we can be thankful to God that we even have a phone. We have the gospel, a means that we can go to God from a place of favor, that God hears our prayers, that he is sovereign and omnipotent to be able to hear our whispers among this very loud and broken planet, and that, that he will always make, uh, he'll always meet our needs and make all things right. When you and I understand this and believe this, we can have supernatural peace and not lose hearts with what we bring towards our God. You and I can keep on praying because God's going to make things right. So our first point was that uh, we pray because our world is broken. And our second point is that we pray because our God can fix it. We pray because our God can fix it. So look at me now in verses four and five. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. It's so easy for us to think what's done is done. Again, I would have given up after the first time the judge would have said no to me. The head honchos laid down the law. There's no change in it. This is just, just the way it is. And it may even be viewed as God's will. But praise be to God and what encouragement it is for us that God is the one who has the final say at the end of the day. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This, this woman's verbal consistency feels like jabs from Cassius Clay to this judge. That word, beat me down, means blacken the eye. This man feels like he is on the ropes, that this woman has him on the ropes. God is even able to make unbelievers and the unrepentant do good. Again, what is that thing that you are praying about? 
that you're asking God to make right that you have given up on. This parable, again, is, is about a woman who does not give up and a judge who does. And it's given to us so that we do not lose hearts and keep on praying. And this parable is also given, us, given to us to help us see the character of God and how we are to therefore relate to him. If you notice in verse 1 and 2 of Luke, it says, he told them, he said. But now look at how the tone shifts in verse 6. It says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge, judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Luke here reminds us that this is God speaking. This is that listen up moment. Jesus is really pushing for, for us to understand and have a right view of our God. We get two rhetorical questions in verse 7 to that effect, which help us understand what, what, what God looks like, but also helps us understand what we look like to God. Jesus here calls those who pray the elect. And when you read passages like Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans 8 and many other passages in Scripture, we see that there's a people of God that he has chosen before time, a people of God who receive God's parental and special love. These are the people who will trust and obey in Jesus. And yet, he allows them to cry day and night before he answers them. Why? C.S. Lewis, again, I like this guy a lot. Uh, he, he writes this book called The Magician's Nephew. And, and in this book, uh, first book of his series of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is a lion. He's this humble yet fierce and feared lion who's smart and strong and wise. And he represents God in this book. And Diggory is a boy who, 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 the main character in this book, who has caused a lot of problems in this magical world. Um, but throughout his whole time in Narnia, he's looking for this cure for his cancerous mother. And now that he has his opportunity, before Aslan sends him off on his last task, he comes before Aslan and has the boldness to ask or speak or pray for what he needs. And this is what... Uh, what, what Lewis writes, says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment, he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know Grief is great. What Lewis is trying to illustrate is that God doesn't have a cold and callous heart when we come to him in prayer. And neither does he close his eyes when we, when we, when we go to him or when he sees us experience injustice or hardship. God is love and he loves his children. He loves his elect. Again, in verse 7, it says, And will not God... 
give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And then in verse 8, it says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Psalm chapter 56 um, says this, you have kept count of my tossings in bed. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? See, I don't have uh, kids, <laughs> pray for me, but I'm told that at times the parents, they, they let their children cry in the night to teach them independence. A good and loving parent doesn't scoff or grumble when they see their children go through pain or injustice. They don't delight to see that. Not just in infancy, but as they grow up, they're almost pained to see their children go through more pain. They will do anything in their power to not let them suffer. But there is, in fact, a greater good when, when that kind of pain is allowed in the child's life. There is good that can come from what can be learned there. And it may in our sin feel cruel when we are going through that, but there's a purpose and benefit to when God delays and bring in justice, even when we come to him in tears, day and night, asking God to do so. Again, why would God do that? And I think it's because God desires to answer these prayers holistically for the good of his people, for justice, all to follow his will. You see, in this passage, it's within a larger passage in chapter 17, where Jesus is asked, when is his kingdom coming? Jesus, in speaking of his second coming, gives us this parable. Jesus wants us to keep praying because he will make all things right. But in the process, is broadening our prayers to the wider scope of his good and perfect will. In this story... A delayed vindication, a delayed vengeance or justice for the widow reveals, it strengthens, it, it tests and confirms the widow's faith in justice and her need for it. This, this judge himself learns what anxiety feels like. He learns what it's like to be fallible and weak and thus moves to right action that can benefit people in the future as well, even his own sake. And his adversary or the opponent learns that though elusive in the moment, no one can truly escape justice. In our story, 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slow, sl slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, the way that God is going to fix our world, answer our prayers, and bring justice in this world is by removing all evil. And you and I would be on that list too. Our world is broken because our first parents, Adam and Eve, were the first humans made in God's image and likeness. They chose not to fear him. They chose to go past God's boundaries and law and statutes and instead being content with what God has given them in abundance, they have, they sinned. See, God was the first person to be offended by sin. And although God could have brought justice right then and there and avenged himself, he delayed it. 
He covers their shame. He gives them consequences and he gives them a promise as well that someone would fix that wrong, that Jesus would crush the head of Satan. Jesus humbles himself by coming to us as a man and lives a life that we should have lived. He lived perfectly, sinless, received injustice after injustice and is betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked, and crucified. Jesus could have jumped off that cross at any time, but he chose to stay up there for you and I. He, he allowed himself to die for our sake. Jesus takes the justice that we deserve upon himself. God fixes the greatest injustice, sin and rebellion against God by giving us a substitute who takes our punishment. God fixes the injustice that we have committed towards God and our fellow man by punishing Jesus in our place. And he resurrects from the grave to prove that it is paid. And it's when we confess our sins, agree with God that we have sinned against him and ask God for forgiveness, Believing in who Jesus says he is, Lord, Master, God, we are saved. You see, you and I wouldn't have salvation without a delayed justice. You and I wouldn't even be in this room. God is patient, not just toward us, but towards others as well. We have all had our turn in being the adversary. And this is what God is teaching us when we pray about these things. God is delaying for a total good. Could it be that God is doing a work in you and I while we wait? Doing a work in our adversaries, even if it means them coming to faith and being forgiven for their sin. And the benefit of not knowing when God is going to do that or how is for our own good. It protects us from complacency and, and apathy and trying to be wiser or smarter than God. And the amazing thing is that God delays justice so that as we begin to pray his will, his will being done is an answer to our prayers. As we pray his will, his will being done is an answer to our prayers, that God will make things right. And his return is because he's coming for us, because we have prayed for it. Again, in verse 7, and will not, give God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when a son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the third rhetorical question that Jesus asks. And the answer is yes. God will come to a believing people and the people who Believe You and I don't know who the elect are in this world, but we know what they are doing. They are praying, and we know what they are praying for. Elizabeth Elliot says this on prayer. She says, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. Prayer makes us partners with God's will. Every prayer that we have for justice, for God to make things right, is ultimately a prayer for God to come back and for many to come to know him before he does. We notice in the Lord's prayer, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is justice. We pray that God make things right either on the cross or on judgment 
day. And it's with this same assurance that God will make things, all things right, that we view Jesus' justice, his coming again as a salvation or a rescue. In Revelation 6, the saints are asking, how long until you come and avenge us? And in Revelation 19, they, Jesus comes. He comes and he, he, he goes in and he deals with their case. And in Revelation, verse, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verses 1, uh, it says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying, oh, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Jesus' return, his justice, is not just a preemptive mercy, but it's also a response of grace to what we have prayed for, a rescue that we have asked God for. But will he find faith on earth? He who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Until Jesus returns, we will always have pain similar to this widow and enemies like this judge and adversary. But it's how we think of God. When you and I close our eyes and, and pray towards God, what do we see? Who do we think we're praying to? Do we see God as this callous tyrant who enjoys and delights to see us go through pain in order to punish us? Or a loving father, a teary lion who is grieved when we are grieved, teaching us and training us to enjoy the benefits of prayer, broadening and shifting our prayers for his will, for saving and confirming and wanting the peace and expectancy and waiting in peace and expectancy that God will do right by us, for us, with his delayed justice, delayed answer to our prayers. Who do you see? Yesterday was the first. Who here has already said they're going to start tomorrow on their resolution because it's Monday? In my studies, uh, J.C. Ryle said it's easy to start praying, but it's going to require faith to be consistent in prayer, to make prayer a habit. Jesus, this is what Jesus is getting at. And this is why we as a church, we have monthly prayer meetings. We have one on the 6th. Come in person that God's elect, his church, can gather and hear the, each other's prayers, rejoice in what gets answered, and have peace and expectancy of what we are waiting for. Jesus is speaking to the collective. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That when Christ cracks the sky, he is interrupting a prayer meeting. In the midst of someone saying, amen, the Lord will return. Again, we don't know who the elect are in this world, but we know what they are doing. And now for us, God's desire is that after reading and studying and believing this word, is that like energy from coffee or sugar or green tea or whatever it is, that you have the effect, the energy, the desire, the motivation, the faith, boldness to, not, to pray and not lose hearts. The judge gives up, the widow does not. And to close, I would love for us to practice this together right now. And what we're actually going to do is that we're going to pray individually or pray in the household or party that you came here with about these two things on, on the screen. The first is that we can repent of our lack of trust in God. Maybe you've lost heart, lost heart this past year. I have. 
Let's bring that to God, whether we, we think God won't answer our prayers because he doesn't care or, or love us. If we, if we just stop praying all together, let's first repent of that. And then the second thing we can do is that we can bring, bring to God new or things that we have given up on that, 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 that God can make right and bring justice to because he will. He has before and he will again. This is God's promise to us. It's just a matter of time, but it's going to be his time. So in a couple of moments, I will close us off in prayer, um, but let's, let's, let's do that now. Father, Lord, I, I thank you, God, that uh, you are God who hears our prayers, that you are God who uh, does not go deaf or, or, or callous towards our injustices, Lord, uh, that you are God who counts our tossings and puts our tears in a bottle. You are aware, you see, and that you are grieved and even angered by what your saints, what your children experience. And I thank you, God, first and foremost for um, forgiving us because we have been an adversary towards you. We have sinned against you and we deserve justice. And I thank you, God, for sending your son to die in our place and forgive us for our sins. And Lord, it's with the gospel in mind that we can be um, patient and, and uh, gracious to others when we are sinned against. And I pray, God, 
that you that you continue to be to, to do right, that you continue to um, hear our prayers and answer accordingly. Thank you, God, for the benefits and the, the perks that come with prayer, that you can give us peace, that we can have peace in this life, knowing that you've overcome the world and that you are coming back uh, to make all things right. I pray that we can long for your salvation. We can long for your returning. We pray that many come to know you. Pray for, for all of us who have uh, given up on praying about certain things, whether it's our lack of faith in you or just doubt that you will hear and answer. I pray that you forgive us. And I pray that we, um, to the effect that you have given us this word, continue to trust you again, knowing that you will uh, answer speedily. Pray for those who do not know you, Lord, who do not pray to you and ask you for grace, that you may uh, touch them, Lord. May they come to know you, and may they be, um, may you bring a justice that was uh, given to us on the cross and, and forgive them for their sins. I pray if there's anyone here or online who is um, willing to, to trust you, to put their faith in you and be forgiven of their sins, Lord, may you please uh, do that work in them. I pray all these things in your name.